Today's podcast is brought to you by Howie's Picks for the Massachusetts Republican State Committee. Vote Tuesday, March 5th to keep the mass GOP alive. To see Howie's Picks, go to HowieCarshow.com and click on the banner. Live from the Aviva Trattoria studio, it's the Grace Curley Show. we got to bring in a new voice, a young voice, a rising voice, Grace Curley. You can read Grace's work in the Boston Herald and the Spectator. Especially Grace. Grace, stand up. Here's the millennial with the mic, Grace Curley. Everybody, Welcome back to the Grace Curley Show and happy Friday. Don't forget you can vote in the poll question at gracecurleyshow.com. Click on story. You can also check out the Grace's goodies from yesterday. The Eden Pure BioSpeed vacuum, which is really great. I have one and you guys are going to love it. So make sure you get on that as well. And Jared, if it's okay with you, can I do a little humble brag for just a minute here? Absolutely. Yesterday... And, you know, to be, okay, I'll I'll preface it by saying you didn't have to be brilliant to see this one coming. But because of the Supreme Court's recent rulings and their agreement to take up this immunity case and hear oral arguments about it, I had a feeling that we were going to start uh, hearing the same old, same old from the usual suspects in the Democrat Party about how the Supreme Court needs to be abolished or it needs to be packed or just, you know, something has to happen with the Supreme Court because this is out of hand, ridiculous. And I believe I had said give it by 8 o'clock last night. I don't know what time this aired. I don't know if this was yesterday or today, but we have our first declaration about the problems with the Supreme Court, how dangerous the Supreme Court is. Now, Jared, it's Eli Mistal, he's on MSNBC, he's a leftist activist, and I wanted to play this for everybody because this is what happens, just keep this in mind, when the left doesn't like how a ruling comes down. Now, if they like a ruling, if they like a Supreme Court decision, you know what it's called. It's called settled law. And and they applaud the Supreme Court for doing the right thing. The right thing, by the way, is whatever they think. That, that's usually the right thing, just kind of happens to be that way. But if the Supreme Court agrees to hear a case that they don't want the Supreme Court to hear, then we quickly pivot back to abolishing the court. And the other thing I mentioned yesterday is that you're going to start to hear how the justices are Republicans. I, I thought MAGA would be thrown around, like these are MAGA justices. We're getting pretty close to that. So let's play a little bit from Eli Mistal. Then the appeals court gives a bulletproof ruling, as Dahlia says, and they still decide to take it up. What it says is that they are corrupted political actors who act in bad faith. The reason why people like Mark and people like Dahlia seem to have a crystal ball is because they're real, because they're realists, and they understand the court for what it is. And at some point, people in the media people at home and people sitting in the White House have to stop pretending that the Supreme Court is some kind of benign trying to do its best institution and start to realize that there are six Republicans, not conservatives, Republicans on the Supreme Court who view it as their job 
to help the Republican Party. And until we do something about that, until we take away that power, until we draw the line on them there, they will continue to do this. They will help Trump. They will take away abortion rights. They will end affirmative action. They will liberalize gun rights. They will do all of it until we stop them. And somebody, somebody needs to start listening in the higher echelons of the Democratic Party because we will keep losing every day. We allow these six Republicans in robes to rule over all of us. Sounds like somebody's upset that it's six Republicans and not six Democrats. I just don't think we'd be hearing about this if the court was made up of nine Democrats. You know, or how about 12 Democrats or 15? And forget Democrats. Eli Mistal, he probably wants progressives. You know, let, let's, let's say, here's an idea. Because I, I kept hearing how Amy Coney Barrett was so underqualified. You know, she just wasn't smart enough. To be on the Supreme Court, which if you know anything about her career, not only as a judge, but about her intelligence, it's ludicrous to even say that. But let's play this game of Amy Coney Barrett, Brett Kavanaugh, all these people, all these Republicans, not conservatives, Republicans, are not intelligent enough for Eli Mistal. They're not fair enough. They don't have the right temperament. I know I heard that. So I have an idea. Instead of these nationwide searches, next time there is a vacancy on the Supreme Court, why doesn't Joe Biden just go to one of these protests in the middle of New York City where people are blocking traffic? Or people, how about this? Go to a museum, find somebody who's throwing a can of soup at the Mona Lisa and say to them, hey, I've got a really great gig for you. It's going to cut into the soup throwing time. It's going to cut into your destroying fine pieces of art schedule. But it's a lifelong gig, and I think you might appreciate it. This is only because they don't like, the Democrats don't like one thing. This pre- and, and, and I know there's been a couple. They don't, Eli Mistal probably isn't thrilled with the way the oral arguments went about kicking Trump off the ballot. And as we've heard, if we don't kick Trump off the ballot, then democracy is at stake. You have to kick somebody off a ballot so people can't vote for that person in order to save democracy. And by the way, you also need to keep Hunter Biden sober in order to save democracy. It's a laundry list of things. It's not easy. Don't sign up for this job if you can't handle it. But now the Supreme Court says we'll hear the Trump immunity case and All of these liberal pundits are losing their minds. Rachel Maddow, Eli Mistel, Larry O'Donnell, they're all melting down. It's like, dude, they haven't even heard it yet. What are you so afraid of? That's the question. What are you so afraid of? So I just had to play that because I knew. And like those people, he was those real people he was just mentioning. I didn't have a crystal ball. I just had a feeling that we were going to start to hear the abolish the Supreme Court narrative. And I'm happy. I'm happy it's here. It's always uh, amusing to listen to. Now, the other thing I did want to talk about, I just mentioned, oh, you know what I should throw in here, though, Jared? Because I'm always trying to work in more local news. Did you hear who's coming back to the Biden administration? Is it T.J. Ducklow? No. T.J. Ducklow is on the uh, re-election campaign. He did get his oh, flowers. He got to come back. So don't don't feel too bad for T.J. Ducklow. I'm trying to think anybody else who left. Think Boston. 
think Park the car in the Harvard no. yard. Walsh Marty is coming back? Walsh Marty is set to return. This is from the Boston Herald. It says former Boston Mayor Matty Walsh. Secretary Walsh Marty. Tapped to return to the Biden administration. Why he would want to Marty, do that. Marty, why? Well, I think it's because from what I'm reading, I think he could keep both jobs. It says former Boston Mayor Marty Walsh appears poised to return to the Biden administration after securing a presidential nomination to serve as a governor of the U.S. Postal Service. But I I believe he's going to retain his role at the NHL Players Association. So I guess if you can do both, then why not? But I have to imagine that being the uh, serving as a governor of the U.S. Postal Service is a full-time gig, right? Yeah, I don't know how much time you could spend negotiating contracts. You, you know what? You know what this for Lena Salmark. You know what this brings me back to is like Podesta when he stepped in for Kerry. If you have a job and then you get a whole other job and you can keep your same job, that to me is like, whoa! Which one are you not really doing anything at? Right? Yeah, but 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 Podesta, that's both no jobs. Like that's two no mm-hmm. jobs. Like the, the NHL Players Association actually exists. It's right. a tangible thing. That needs governance, maybe so just, to speak. Maybe, needs a president. Maybe he's really good at delegating. You ever think of that? He could be. I think what's actually happening with Marty Walsh is they're so panicky about the unions right now. Because did you see this other story that in Washington, the state of Washington, the United Food and Commercial Workers, I saw this today in Politico, they endorsed voting uncommitted in the primary next month. Uncommitted is becoming as big of a problem for Joe Biden as... Hunter, okay, uncommitted is really his enemy. He's looking in the mirror. He's like, wait till I see this uncommitted. When I run into this uncommitted on the street, I'm going to look this uncommitted in the eye and I'm going to say, you murder people. You're a murderer. I mean, to be fair, if, if, if I needed union thugs to intimidate people from television, I'd call Marty Walsh too. Yeah, it says this, the chapter, which has over 50,000 members, is the largest in the nation and has described Biden as an ally to workers over the last four years. Not enough of an ally, though, to vote for him. They got to throw in uncommitted. So, yeah, maybe that's why they're bringing out Marty Walsh. I definitely think they're panicking because they're also sending Kamala Harris, the VP, haven't heard from her in a while. Next week, she's going to promote union job growth and apprenticeship programs um, in Wisconsin. So... The union thing is definitely uh-huh. oh, yeah. has everybody a little nervous, I think. That's off of Politico. Now, another story today that caught my eye and really made me laugh. Just to break it up a little bit, before we go back to the illegal immigration, I know it's the biggest story of the day. We are going to talk about it. We also have uh, updates for you on the Willis and Wade case. We are, uh, we are waiting for the judgment in this. Now, this is a story from NBC News, and it says how Biden aides are trying to shield the president from protests and it doesn't sound that much different to me than what they did the last time around when he was operation bubble wrap right i believe it was called yeah but it reminds me of the covid times where they have that circle they'd have one person stand in a circle and they'd say don't move from right here they'd have like six people at an event so it says president joe biden's team is increasingly taking extraordinary steps to minimize disruptions from pro-palestinian protests at his event by making them smaller withholding their precise locations from the media and the public. So the, the point of this whole article, and it's you should read it. I, I put it up on my uh, recommended reading. It's all ridiculous. But the part of it that really made me laugh is they're having this event coming up, okay? 
it's a fundraiser next month. So this is what they're nervous about. They're nervous about all these events because they know that whether he's with the Border Patrol people or he's, you know, with the union people, there's always a risk that someone's going to be unhappy. Someone's going to start heckling him. And unlike AOC, he doesn't just look at people and go, keep it pushing, bro. He kind of does this really presidential thing where he caves and he starts to get really nervous and sweaty. And he tells them, like, I'll give you whatever you want if you stop heckling me. Not a great look for a president. So with all that being said, next month he's got a fundraiser and it's with Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. And they're nervous. Oh, and it's hosted, by the way, by Stephen Colbert. So sign me up sounds like something i would love now the part of this that i gotta laugh at is the whole article they're talking about how he doesn't want to run into these protesters he's afraid of them he's afraid of these college kids who keep saying ceasefire for gaza he's terrified of these kids and he he, he's just really scared they're not gonna like him like sally fields but the opposite They, they don't like me they really don't like me and that bothers him And so it says, organizers are discussing whether to hire a private company to vet attendees. Now, now, this is where my mind goes. This is just human nature. If I'm one of those protesters and I read this, I don't think they're reading NBC News, but let's just say they're tuning into the Grace Curley show. I don't know which is more likely. My thought goes to, oh, they want to keep me out. Oh, they want to keep me out. I'm going to go out of my way to somehow sneak through the vetting process. I'm going to try to be a plant, try to be so convincing that I'm a Biden supporter. It can't be that hard. Put on aviators, maybe come in with a cone of ice cream, talk about how much you loved his book, you know, whatever. Use a nice green apple scented shampoo just to hedge your bets. Yeah, and just keep whipping your hair around like, oh, what's that? Hey, that I smell me? that great hair. I can bring him in, Jack. You know what, Jared? You're right. S- screw the ice cream and the book and the aviators. That's a cheaper idea. Get a blowout. Get a beautiful blowout. Put some perfume in that hair. You walk in. He's going to say, hey, put that person on the front of the line. I want that person front row. But they're going to have this. They're thinking about having a private company vet, vet these attendees. But my favorite part is it says the lowest cost tickets will be set at a price still high enough the campaign hopes, to interest only true supporters of Biden's re-election effort, these people said. That's going to drive the soup throwers even more crazy. Like the traffic blockers? Because that, to me, is just, again, you're, 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 you're rubbing their faces in it. Not only are we having this event we don't want you here, but we're going to make the ticket prices so high that you can't afford it. That sounds like a place that could use a nice, thorough hand-gluing. Right before the event, yeah. protesters. They're going to do like what they did at the U.S. Open and just yep. glue their feet to the ground. It says the moderator of a discussion with the three presidents will be late night host Stephen Colbert, whom the campaign sees as a low risk, friendly choice. The people familiar with the planning said low risk, low risk of anybody laughing. That's for sure. How embarrassing, though. You're a comedian, and they're like, we're going ha- to have you host it because we know you're not going to be funny at all, and you're not going to ruffle anyone's feathers. Great stuff. We will be back. We got more to talk about, and we are going to talk to Aaron Murphy, city councilor at large at 130, about what's going on in Fort Point. Auctions are one of the oldest forms of commerce known to man. Auctions are how economies determine values for assets and commodities, and auctions are not a fire sale at a discounted price. They're actually an accelerated sale with competitive pricing. So just because your parents listed their house for sale, maybe that's what your neighbors are doing at a set price, it doesn't mean you have to. You know, you can actually 
forge your own path, do things a little bit differently, and you will be amazed how beneficial that can be for you and for the amount of money that you make on your property. J.J. Manning's accelerated auction process is one of the fastest growing segments in real estate. Manning's time-tested approach began over 16,000 auctions ago in 1976 by its founder, Jerome Manning. What are the main benefits of a J.J. Manning auction? Well, there's too many to, to name here, but I'll give you three that I really appreciate. No contingencies, which is great. The buyer signs the exclusive PNS and makes a 10% non-refundable deposit that day. And you, the seller, you set the terms which all buyers must follow. So J.J. Manning, they know what they're doing. They've been doing this for a long time. They've got a 30-30 marketing plan, and you're going to love this. Go to jjmanning.com or call Charlie Gill at 800-521-0111. Again, that's jjmanning.com or 800-521-0111. You're listening to The Grace Curley Show. This is The Grace Curley Show. We recently were talking about Katie Porter a lot, the congresswoman from California. And our reasoning for discussing Katie Porter was that she was on, I think it was CNN with Erin Burnett. And she was talking about Lake and Riley, who, by the way, her funeral is today. And she said that we shouldn't let one instance uh, shape our policy. And she got a lot of blowback for that, deservedly so. And then I was talking about, Jared, how she's running for Dianne Feinstein's old Senate seat. And she's up against Adam Schiff, who really wants it, who I think is kind of the front runner. And then I said, and there's, you know, there's Barbara Lee. And I kind of offhandedly was like, yeah, and there's a Republican running, but who really cares because he doesn't have a shot. Well, I stand corrected. Jared printed me out this. This is from Politico. I just want to apologize to Republican Steve Garvey because the California Senate race, according to Politico, Steve Garvey is in a statistical tie for first place with Adam Schiff. And you know what? This all does tie back to Massachusetts because sometimes we get into that mindset of why bother? You know, we're we're in a one party state. It's awful. It's deep, deep, deep blue. It's like a navy blue here in Massachusetts. But if Republican Steve Garvey can be tied with Adam Schiff, I'm not saying it's going to hold, but it's definitely a, a good first step. Don't you think? Garvey made his living off of tight spots, big situations, hit and runs to go ahead, triples, home runs, World Series, NLCS, you name it. Don't count the Garve out ever. That's why I like having someone who knows sports as a producer. Because I wouldn't even be able to tell you. What team did he play for, Jared? He played for the Dodgers and the Padres. Oh, very cool. Okay. I like him. I mean, I like him because, I'll be honest, beyond what you just said about triples and home runs and all that stuff, I like him mostly because he's not Adam Schiff. That's that's kind right. of that's kind of my number one priority with the candidates. But all that sounds great as well. Uh, today's poll question is brought to you by the Nossa Beach Inn. Right now, you can stay at the Nossa Beach Inn for under $200 this winter. To reserve your room, go to NossaBeachInn.com. That's NossaBeachInn.com. Jared, what's the poll question? Today's poll question is, what was the worst moment of Biden's border drive-by? Calling people Neanderthals, begging Trump to help him on the border, reading off his cheat sheet, calling for kumbaya with the Republicans, 
We're asking Mayorkas how many uh, big things they're doing. I'm going to say Neanderthals. Neanderthals in the lead at 34%. Second place, begging Trump at 25, 23% for the uh, big things. All right, when we come back, Aaron Murphy, city councilor at large, joins the show. Live from the Aviva Trattoria studio. I think there's a lot of angry residents here who feel the same way I do, that this was being forced on us. There was a lot of questions tonight. There were not a lot of answers. That was a resident in the seaport. His name is actually Brian Curley. No relation. My brother's name is Brian Curley, but that was not him. But I I didn't disagree with this man who said, you know, there's a lot of questions and no answers. Because that's that's because there's no plan. There's no strategy here besides just sticking 100 people in an office building and crossing your fingers and hoping for the best. That's the level of strategic planning that's going on in Boston and not just in Boston. It's going on in Chicago. It's going on in New York City. It's going on in Los Angeles, in San Francisco. It's going on in all of these cities all over the country. And I wanted to play another resident here. This is this is cut seven. I, I think, Jared, this was audio of the actual town hall. Let's have cut seven. said this is real. How are you going to ensure we're safe? So we get no say as residents of the town, residents of the city, neighbors. I would like to see a little bit more compassion. That's my point of view. Thank you. Now, this is from the Boston Herald. It says that the United Way received a grant from the Healy administration to identify and set up overflow shelters for families on the wait list throughout the state. A similar site was established in Newton through Catholic Charities. Joining us now, someone who's quoted in this article, City Councilor at Large, Aaron Murphy. Aaron, the last time I saw you in person, we were outside of Melnia Cass Recreation Center at about five in the morning, getting ready to talk yes, about cold, this. Yes, a cold morning. A cold morning, and now it's moved. And actually, what's interesting about it, or funny, not in a haha way, but the residents in Roxbury said, "Why is this happening here? Why isn't this happening in wealthier parts of the state? Why are we being burdened with this?" And now it seems like they're getting their answer. It has moved to a ritzier area, Fort Point. The residents are furious. Give us your take on this, and then I want to talk a little bit about the United Way. Absolutely. So, um, first, thank you for calling. in this situation, a little bit different from the rec center in Roxbury, which they displaced services that were going on there to move in the beds for the migrants, is this is an empty office building, and the state has reached out to all office buildings across the state saying, do you have space because we, we, we will pay you, you know, or we will love to have you host migrant families. So, this is a universal um, Unitarian church that owns the building. They're a nonprofit that owns this office building here in the Fort Point. And they replied, and the grant that United Way got is to help connect office building owners who want to set up their space to house these migrants. Concerns here in the neighborhood, similar to Roxbury, felt like they're not part of the conversation. And that's one of the things that the second they heard that it was being considered about a month ago um, and that the United Way was given a, you know, what is it, a $10 million grant to help f- 
find spaces and support the transition to to these spaces. The Four Point Neighborhood Association um, gave a list, a long list of questions, and requested a meeting right away. And they have not gotten one tonight. There will be a Zoom meeting from the state with answers given, um, hopefully. But always, I think. People are more upset when they're just not part of the conversation and they feel like it was done to them without their input at all. So they're dealing with an angrier group of neighbors, I think, because they went about it where they kind of dropped the ball with the opportunity they could have had to talk to the neighbors at the beginning before they were told ISD signed off, right? Like the mayor said, I think on Monday she didn't know, but then ISD signed off and the occupancy for 90 people was approved for 90, 80 people for 90 days is what the ISD sign off was for this building. And because it's emergency situation, a lot of the expectations, um, rules and regulations that, you know, regular people have to have for change of use and are lifted. So the timeline moved much smoother because of the emergency situation. Well, my my next question, I'm speaking with city councilor at large, Aaron Murphy. My next question would be, and you probably don't have the answer to this, Aaron, um, and I don't think the mayor or the governor would have an answer either. But when you look at a situation like this where we have a building that and, you know, city councilor Ed Flynn pointed out that there's a lack of showers at this site and there's a lot of problems with that. But my mind goes to where does this end? Like it's temporary. You just mentioned that it's all falling under this emergency uh, situation. So where's the end game here? I know at Malnia Cass, they said, oh, by May 31st, we're going to, you know, put this back to being a recreational center for these young kids in Roxbury to use for track and for swim and for other things. But as far as this office building goes in the seaport, is there a timeline here? No. So 90 day permit for now, but at the end of 90 days, they can request if it's still an emergency, which I don't see how we won't still be in an emergency. They can request an extension. Also, we have that same concern there. What will happen on June 1st? What if there's no place for the families that are housed there to go? Where do they go? I don't know. So concerning, even if they do say there's an end date, does it really mean anything if there's a state of emergency where different rules and apply here? The, um, so they haven't given an end date for them over in the seaport area there on Farnsworth Street. And it, I don't know if you've seen it, but many of the residents are concerned because it is a narrow dead-end street right behind the Children's Museum. And it's a temporary shelter evening only. So what another thing I found out is they will be bused there at 7 p.m. and have to leave every morning at 7 a.m. They're not allowed to be in the building during the day. And to take showers, they're going to be bused to hope they were saying they would use maybe the um, YMCA in Chinatown or on Berkeley Street. So this they don't have everything they need in that space. What 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 do they do between seven a.m. and seven p.m. besides going to the YMCA for for showering and things like that? Yeah, I I don't I don't know. That's a big concern I have. Like what what will and if the, these are families as we know, so they have children because if they're single, the city is finding emergency shelter for them that the state is mandated to house the family migrants. So 
I don't I don't believe, at least with the answers I've gotten so far, that we're setting these families up for success. And the residents have a lot of concern and questions that hopefully will be answered tonight. There is a Zoom meeting that the state is holding tonight. They did attend last minute the four-point regular monthly meeting with some answers, but tonight they're coming with more of an overview on a webinar-type setup. It's not in person, but... Erin, an opportunity tonight. Uh, City Councilor, I, I'd love to ask you, and I, I hope this isn't too in the weeds, but it's something that's being brought up a little bit in New York City, and I feel like sooner or later people are going to start asking these questions in Boston. And we just mentioned the emergency you know, label that everything's getting, and when you do that, you have situations where whether you're hiring security or whether you're hiring uh, restaurants to bring food to these illegal aliens, there's no... There, it's a no bid type of uh, rule here, where yeah, you all can... that's listed. Also, yeah. So, give us a little uh, information about that. And are other people who are not part of this, who are not, you know, making money off this, or aren't finding it to be profitable for their businesses, and then they're seeing the restaurant next door get this huge contract, uh, emergency contract? Mm-hmm. Is that happening? Mm-hmm. Is there tension rising because of that? Um, I believe so. I know that the. People I spoke to in Roxbury, some of the elected officials, they were happy that some residents were able to get this business. So, of course, we're happy for the ones who got it. But what about all the others? Because it isn't a full bidding process. So the same questions going to come up here. Um, but they won't have three meals a day delivered to them like they do at the rec center. For some reason, this is an overnight only shelter where the rec center, there three meals a day for over 400 people there, right, are being delivered to them and their laundry is being done. And there are showers there. So they leave um, their kids, the ones who are school age, have already been enrolled in schools nearby. So they are, you know, walking their kids to school during the day, but they don't have to leave during. So the concern, too, is where will these families go? What What will they do? And what type of transportation system, because if they're not all in the same places during the day, how do we make sure they get back to the space at night to sleep? Erin, a follow-up to that point you just made about these kids being enrolled in schools. Have you heard from any teachers in the city of Boston? And this has to be putting more stress on the Boston school system, which I know is, you know, already already kind of in a, in a tough situation. Uh, yeah. And we have, you know, a crisis in our ESL department in BPS. The eight of the board uh, ESL directors there who were trying to make some big changes for our students who are, you know, not English first language learners um, quit, walked away from BPS a few months ago. So definitely have to be putting a strain on making sure that we, most of the migrants speak Haitian, so making sure that the teachers and the, you know, school has the resources to communicate with these children and make sure they can do their job effectively. Erin, there, the, there was a comment from uh, New York City Mayor Eric Adams about these cash cards that are being uh, handed out to illegals, and he called it a real win-win, a smart way to bring down costs. And I I know that's New York City. I know it's the Big Apple, but oftentimes what happens is something happens there, and then a few weeks later we find out it's happening here. What's going on as far as uh, money? Is are there are there debit cards being handed out? How are people paying for things? Is there any money being handed that out? Would def- I hope that question gets answered tonight because 
in the situation in Roxbury at the rec center, their meals are being delivered. Their clothes, they're, you know, given clothes and they're being laundered. So there's no, they have no expenses. But if they're, if the, these group of, um, you know, families are out of the building during the day, they, I don't, how are they going to buy themselves breakfast or lunch? They were going to try to set up some kitchenettes in a different space for them to cook some food, but I'm not sure how that's going to work. Yeah. There's lots of questions around that that hopefully will be answered this evening. Um, yeah. I wanna... And like we said, 90 days, like what happens at the end of 90 90- Another thing that the community was upset about is when the first time they were able to speak to anyone, they were told it was already a done deal, not we're still considering it. So, yeah, uh, Aaron, I'm not happy about that. I want to play one cut for you here. This is the only one from WBZ TV that I hadn't played yet. Can I have cut eight, please, Jared? This is a great idea. Smart thinking. I think it should happen more often. So that was a resident uh, outside one of the buildings in the seaport. And he said, I think it's a great idea. Smart thinking. I think it should happen more often. If you based off your own interactions, I know this is anecdotal, but how many like what percentage of people would you say feel that way? Feel that this is great. This is compassionate. This is smart versus people like we heard who are very upset about it. Yeah, I would say. Everyone I've heard that is upset lives either on Fonsworth or directly nearby and know that they're going to in some way have to step up and figure it out. Many are compassionate in asking questions like, what do we need to do like to help? But also asking the, I think, very good questions like, it's a dead end street. Like, how are you even going to fit buses up the side street to bus, you know, families out? And the person presenting at the uh, meeting the other night, like, lives far away in a suburb. So, you know, questions like, are you going to bring them into your home? Should Is there a place on your street? Um, so, and these buildings are office buildings. One neighbor was saying that, you know, because I think it's the 10th floor. Uh, uh, there's, no, it's not 10 stories high, but the, sto- the floor that they're going to um, put the mig- uh, migrants on, she was saying is like looks directly into mine there's no curtains like are we going to like make this so that we can't like see in or them see right out into residence there is a misunderstanding right that every everything down there is just office buildings or restaurants and many you know hundreds thousands of residents live in the south boston waterfront so the residents who live nearby do not have the same feeling for sure Aaron, I don't want to get you in trouble with any of your colleagues or anything like that, but if you had to say who you think is handling this better between Mayor Wu and Governor Mar Healy, I know they have different responsibilities, but as far as with the media and answering questions, who would you say is handling this better? So because it is for, to house families, the responsibility of the governor, I do feel like the city is leaving it to the state and saying, well, this isn't our problem, but it is. And Ed Flynn has been very vocal and, you know, Congressman Lynch and also Nick Collins, who, you know, represent that area that, well, we're hearing from neighbors daily and we're, we're, we're in the weeds with this. So they, they want answers and they don't want to use that pass the buck approach because, even though it's the responsibility of the state, we obviously, as elected officials, especially the mayor's office, can get answers. So making sure that the residents, you know, when that always happens, it's like, well, that's the state's problem. No, that's the city's problem. But the 
citizens are left with no answers. I do know that Councillor Flynn is taking it very seriously to make sure that he is the point person if people have questions and that people are including him in you know the process going forward. Yeah, he was he was quoted a lot in this article from the Boston Herald. City Councilor at Large Aaron Murphy, we thank you so much for filling us in here and adding a lot of details that I had never heard before. I did not know about Chinatown, the YMCA, the showers, the fact that it's only during the uh, it's only a nighttime shelter. A lot of details there that we didn't know that you heard here at the Grace Curley show. We appreciate your time, City Councilor, and uh, keep up. Keep up the great work. I hope to see you early morning at some point, but hopefully for a better news story than the ones we've been reporting on. Uh, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Dr. Houghton of Perfect Smiles is the best at what he does, and he loves what he does, and that always makes such a difference. When it comes to dentistry, he can make your smile whatever you want it to be. So whatever you've dreamed about for your smile, everybody's got some vision in their head of, you know, this tooth is a little weird or like I, I, I should whiten my smile or these are a little crooked. Dr. Houghton can talk to you. He's going to go at your own pace. He's going to personalize it. He's going to make it work for you and find the smile that works best for your face. So when you have a smile that you're proud of, everything gets a little bit better. It's small little changes in your day-to-day life. You've got more confidence. You're a little bit happier. And if you've thought about this and you keep putting it off, don't put it off any longer. We're in 2024. This is the year to take care of yourself, to do something nice for yourself. And you are going to love the team at Perfect Smiles. They go into work every day and they're happy because they like what they do. They all really enjoy each other's company. And they're so nice to every single person who comes in the door. You can take my word for that. Take care of yourself. You deserve it. Call Perfect Smiles in Nashua, New Hampshire. That's Perfect Smiles. They're located off Route 3. They've got plenty of parking. And you can reach them at PerfectSmiles.com. That's PerfectSmiles.com. Change your smile. Change your life. We'll be right back. Hi, it's Toby from Cape Gunworks. I'm taking all your firearm and self-defense questions every Tuesday. Join Grace and me for 2A Tuesday, Tuesdays at 2 p.m. This is the Grace Curley Show. We're saving approximately $600,000 a a month, $7.2 million a year by giving individuals a card that allows them to buy food or baby supplies, spending $13 a day on food that's cheaper, that's less food waste. This is a real win-win for us. And the money will go into the local economy because now we're going to the local stores, supermarkets, and we're going to hire local. Hold on, hold on. The cash cards, the $50 million cash cards, he says it's a win-win. I get why it's a win for the illegal aliens who are getting cash cards. I get that. I even get why it's a win for Eric Adams and the company that's producing these cash cards and getting $50 million before they even put the money on the cards. I get that. Someone explain to me how it's a win for the taxpayers. It feels like it's a win-win-lose. That's what it feels like to me. Is this kind of the you got to spend money to make money type <laughs> deal? Like, oh, this is going to be this is going to be great. We're going to we're going to make a lot of money by paying all these people and giving them cash cards. You know, they always talk about girl math. This is Democrat math. I don't understand it. 
But apparently, it's a win-win. I would say it's a win-win-lose. We'll be right back. we got a lot more in this last hour. Last call with Emma Foley after the break.